I'm Jonathan Capehart, and this is Cape Up. Sergeant Major Michael Grinston is the highest-ranking enlisted member of the U.S. Army, and he took to Twitter to share a very personal video message about race. In our Army, we have to trust and understand one another. We have to be willing to tell our stories. Here's part of my story. I was born in 1968. My father was black. My mother was white. When I was three, they divorced and I moved to Alabama. Racial identity is something that I struggle with my entire life. Coming to grips with both sides of my identity, at one point I decided I would put black on the form. And at that time I only had two choices. So I handed the form that I was given to the lady and she said, that's not funny. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you shouldn't mark that. I said, well, I explained to her I was black and white and I didn't have too many choices for anything else on that form. Sometimes my life, I felt like it's in the movie, The Green Book, where the actor gets out of the car and he says, I'm not black enough for the black people. I'm not white enough for the white people. That's my story. Hear more of his story right now. Sergeant Major Michael Grinston, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, um, Thank you for hosting me, and uh, I look forward to the discussion. So you told CBS Sunday Morning that your driver's license listed you as Caucasian. Um, when, When you enlisted in 1987, as a result of that, you checked Caucasian, but then you had... Um, an opportunity to check that box again. And that's when you checked black and the lady said, that's not funny. What changed in you, in your life, uh, for you to make that change? Uh, This was um, one of those things that, you know, I struggled with, you know, my whole life. I mean, uh, you know, because... People would always ask, and even in that same interview, people would say, well, you know, my, you know, as I travel around and as I got older, people would just, you know, walk up and say, what are you? Which is, um, like I said, in the interview was probably the worst thing you could say to anybody. And normal response you would get was human. And then I'd probably say, what are you? But I, I think for me, it was, uh, coming to grips with both sides of me and who I was as a person. Um, You know, I was, I was really proud that I felt, you know, proud of both sides of me. Uh, And I struggled with that um, my whole life because there was, everybody wanted to put me uh, in the box, uh, whatever box that was. Um, And then in my, in my Twitter video, what I said was, uh, when I watched the movie Green Book, I really identified with that the character in there when he said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not black enough for the black people, and I'm not white enough for the white people." So when I when I checked that block, um, it was kind of my self actualization that there are two sides of me, and I can and I can be proud of both sides of me. Sergeant Major, can I get you, because that was the line, and it came at the very end 
of your of your Twitter video, which I found very moving. And I would love for you to just to flesh out that line. I'm not black enough for black people. How were you not black enough? <laughs> I'll give you another story then. And this is actually recently. Um, so I was, um, I, I, I'm trying not to, you know, I really don't want to say exactly where it was. I don't want to, you know, make anybody feel upset. But I was, um, I'll say a year ago, uh, I was leaving an installation. And, you know, there's, there's blocks. I don't, you know, sometimes I don't even know why we have all these racial blocks on the form. Does it really matter? But there was a block. And I said, well, okay, you know, comfortable with who I am. I, I, uh, I checked black. And, um, and, and uh, I was going in the hospital, you know, for a surgery. And um, it was an African-American female. And she looks at me and she goes, I mean, like, really? And, um, and I said, well, I, my father's, I just like this, my father is black. My mom is white. What would you like me to put? And this is her words. Well, we'll put other. Hmm. Um, so that's what I mean. Uh, you know, I, I, that's, I, I can't say it any other way is when you get those looks from everybody, um, you know, that's 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 the only way I can explain to you uh, what it feels like when you know you're not black enough. So, and that was just a year ago, you said. Yes. Now, when you were the, the power in that in that um, in that statement for me um, comes from growing up. You know, the sergeant major. <clears throat> excuse me, sergeant major. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm actually older than you by about a, by a year. And so we're contemporaries. And um, even growing up, I had those situations where people made it clear to me that they didn't think I was black enough. Um, in growing, growing up, um, how did that you're not black enough manifest itself for you? Well, I think um, earlier, like much earlier, when I was a child, um, it really didn't manifest too much because uh, my father and my mother divorced uh, when I was very young and I live with my mother who is white. Um, so, and I have a brother and a sister and I consider them my brother and sister, but they're a half brother and a half sister, meaning they had a different father and he was white. So I was the only one that kind of looked like me in my family, mm. in my immediate family. But, you know, I love my brother, I love my sister, and my mom. They all love me unconditionally. I never felt uh, unwelcomed or anything weird in my immediate family at all. Um, so I, I didn't, I don't think I really experienced that because we kind of lived in our little neighborhood and um, it was all white predominantly. And so when you grow up that way, you don't, you know, when you're just a kid, you get you can't experience that. Right. It was as I started to grow a little older, um, where I started to get those experiences where uh, I, you know, I just didn't fit in in any group, and it wouldn't matter which group I went with. At some point, some people would either look at you like you're either too you're too dark for this one, and you know why are you here, or you're you're a little light for this group. I hope that makes sense. Yes, it does. And so, Sergeant Major. On the other half of that that uh, equation, you're not white enough 
for for the white people, as you say in in your Twitter video, how did that manifest itself? Do you have a story that point pointed that out to you? Uh, well, well, unfortunately, I have a lot more of those um, uh, because I told you where I, you know, I I was with my mother and my brother in our neighborhoods. Um, that that came to light, you know, like all day, you know, when I was growing up as a child. Uh, that was very clear. Um, at some point, you know, uh, I would, you know, meet a girl and um, met a Caucasian girl, and if if their family saw me, it was instantaneous that the person would come up to me the next day and go, uh, you know, I can't hang out and I can't talk to you anymore. Mm. So as I grew up and I got older, you know, a teenager and you know a young man in my twenties. I was deathly afraid of meeting anybody, any parent, thinking that, uh, you know, they would put so much pressure um, on who I was out with at the time that uh, we would have to break up. So um, for the longest, I just really didn't want to meet anybody's parents. So, you know, and even just friends, because I was just afraid that, you know, it's like, what are you hanging out with this person who, you know, we don't know what he is, uh, meaning what, what what his race is. Um, so I, I saw that, um, and even, you know, growing up in Alabama in middle school, you know, there were still two water fountains being, uh, it was, you know, and somebody one time said, you know, uh, one of those was for the black folks and one's for the white folks and they didn't have labels anymore, but, uh, it was clear, you know, what they were for. Uh, I guess that's a so old, but those those are the manifestations uh, that I kind of some of the manifestations that I grew up with. And so, I, in that story, now I'm I'm now curious with those two water fountains not labeled, but everyone knew who was meant to go to which water fountain. Which water fountain were you expected to drink from? Well, you know, the good news is it just made me stronger. I'm just who I am. I'd probably go. I just drink from any old water fountain. <laughs> I don't think they were clearly labeled, uh, but you know, it was just a, you know, it one that you know. I don't think everybody went to this one or that one. It was just the the theory of it, you know, and the theory of that you you were in a school where it actually was segregated at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just drink from. I was going to be me. I drink from any water fountain I want, and let's see what happens from there. Now. Um, one of the things you also said in that CBS um, Sunday morning interview was some of the things you would hear white people say to you, not realizing that you are that you're biracial, but you um, identify as black, at least on, on paper. Um, how do you respond to situations like that when people feel that they are at liberty to uh, bear their racism, their bigotry on their sleeves like that so openly. Yeah, at, um, like I said in the, in the interview, and I'll say it again, I, I wish I would have been uh, stronger um, and just really come out and said, um, you know, don't ever say that again. Don't ever say that to me. Um, and sometimes I did and I'm not proud of that, um, but I really wish I'd done that better. Um, 
but what it did give me the opportunity to do is I, I knew the true people, not the, not the facade that you would put up in public for other folks. Um, I, I would see uh, what their true beliefs were and, and sometimes or always that's helpful. You are the highest ranking enlisted person in the army. Do I have that right? Uh, yes. Um, the, the, the military has the reputation of being one of our nation's most egalitarian institutions. But it sounds like that's not exactly the case. Do I have that? Do I have that right? Does the reputation not exactly meet up with the reality? No, you know, you know, I'm here, I'm in the position uh, today. So, um, so I think we are a very diverse group that has led uh, the nation in inequality. I think we lead in diversity and, uh, but we are a million strong. And I, you know, anytime you have a very large group like that, I, I wouldn't say that there aren't uh, folks that are, you know, uh, that shouldn't be in our ranks. Um, so we, we are literally a microcosm um, of our communities. I like to think we're, we're, we're better, but we're not perfect. Um, and my stories say that, uh, there, we have issues, and we have to do better. Um, we, I think we are doing well uh, in certain areas, but by no means are we perfect, and uh, we need to listen to our folks. Um, we need to actually understand their stories and then take action. Um, so that's what I'm trying to say is if we think this is just somebody else's problem and the military isn't dealing with this, that's not true. Um, I think we're doing well, uh, but what I'm trying to say is that we can always do better. I think one of the things that I found, um, I mean, of course, I found your Twitter Twitter video moving in what you had to say, but it was the fact that you are you felt compelled to say it given your given your rank. Why did you feel it was so important to speak out on the subject of race? Well. And well, first of all, um, you know, our whole nation and our military and specifically the army, we were, we're all, you know, struggling with this. And I think what, what I've learned by telling this, my story was that, you know, other people said, well, I had this issue too. And then we can confront it. When you can see that your leaders are dealing with some of the same things, you go, well, it's okay for me not to internalize it. I can actually come out and talk to my leadership about my feelings. And then that's how we move forward. That's how we move forward as a nation. That's how we move. You know, like I said, we need to do better in the Army. When you can say, well, if he's dealing with this or she and they're in the leadership position, then maybe it's okay for me to talk about what I struggle with. And what I hope was uh, we inspired the Army to come out and just kind of talk about our feelings, understand it, um, and, and then 
you know, like I said, we can do better. Um, but just internalizing it sometimes and you keep it to yourself, it's going to be hard for us to, to move forward if we don't deal with those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious. The other thing that made your video so powerful, um, not only because you, you're the highest ranking enlisted person in the army, but that um, somehow I have this impression that you had to get permission to do this. Did you have to clear it with folks in a higher rank than you to put out that one minute, I think it was a minute and 15 seconds, six second video? No, I I didn't have to clear it. Um, I think, uh, I think what the struggles on my face were internal. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I just, you know, um, somebody said, well, you've heard, you know, how I struggled with this identity, you know, when I was younger and as I got older, um, you know, I was comfortable being me, but I think people in life, you know, have struggles internally now they, but, you know, that was a, a very personal story, uh, to come out mm-hmm. and, um, you know, to share that with the world, um, was something that, you know, I think needed to be said, but it's, it was a, it's a very personal, uh, story and struggle and it, and it shouldn't have to be. Um, so I, I didn't have to clear that with anyone. Um, I just did it, but it wasn't like I was waiting. It was more for me, um, to, to come out and say, you know, this is who I am. You know, with the military, sometimes you, you glorify, you know, we glorify our leaders put on this pedestal, um, and to share an intimate, you know, story sometimes isn't, you know, as easy as people think it is. So, Sergeant Major, um, were you surprised by the reaction to your video? And I'm also curious, what have you act, what have you heard from your troops who saw it? Um, I was surprised. Uh, I, I didn't know how far-reaching um, this would go, and I didn't understand how people would associate their own stories with mine, you know? And and like I said, sometimes, you know, I just go back, not now, but, you know, I'm looking back at my life when I was in my twenties and I felt like, you know, I'm the only one in the world that's dealing with this right here, right now. And maybe that's why I thought, you know, it was important to share that too, but I, I had no idea it would reach, it has, there hasn't been a day yet since I made that video. I haven't had either a phone call, an email, or someone yesterday stopped me and just walked up and said, I saw your video, and thank you. It really reached to me. Um, and then I had a friend of mine, um, we're together. He's an officer, and he sent me his story. It was a few days ago, about a week, and he sent me an email and he said that, um, you know, I, I'm Korean, and I knew that. But he goes, well, my parents, I was adopted. And, you know, I struggled with that. You know, that, that two parts of me, you know, because, you know, he went to predominantly, you know, uh, Caucasian schools. His parents were, foster parents were white. But he had this other side of him um, that, you know, you know, he didn't, 
you know, really understand. And, you know, people said things about him that I thought were terrible, which were things that people said about me um, that, you know, so we related in the same story. And he had conversations with his uh, soldiers, too, based off what I had said. So I, I really didn't see how uh, how well this would um, open up the army to have this discussion. Um, I didn't I didn't see that. I just wanted to um, share my story and in hopes that other people would be comfortable sharing their stories. Sergeant Major, can I get you to talk about um, get you to talk about the conversation that's happening? Uh, within the military about the Confederate flag, it's being, it's being banned, but also the, the renaming of the bases. Um, from a symbolic perspective, why is it important, or do you think it's important that, um, the, that military bases reflect uh, who we are as a country now, as opposed to who we were as a country when those bases were named. Yeah, and, and I think that um, what's important here is, um, you know, the Secretary of the Army, I trust, that is going to do everything appropriate. And that's kind of a question on the renaming the bases is one of those issues that uh, the Secretary of the Army has already come out and, and asked for a commission on. And I think that's important uh for how we can evolve as a country or as the military. And final question to you, and I really do appreciate your um, taking the time to talk about your video, to talk about the significance and why you felt it was important to tell your story and as a way of getting others within the military, but I guess around the country, to tell their stories. Um, the moment that we're in right now in this country is um, fraught is the only word that comes to mind right now. Um, if you if you were in front of a in front of a high school class right now talking about this moment, what would you tell those students, those young people about where we are right now? And why where we are right now is important in terms of being honest uh, and open about who you are. Yeah, so, you know, I think, in my opinion, and I have um, two young daughters, (laughs) so, um, and my daughter... um, who just graduated high school, and she was emotional about this. So we've had these conversations. I may have not been in front of a, uh, a whole high school student body, but I, you know, we've had these conversations uh, with my daughter, and it's emotional. Um, so first of all, it is emotional. We all have to understand that this is emotional. And, and the reason I say that is, if you if you don't acknowledge that people have strong feelings on this, then you will never be able to listen. Um, 
So not just hear what people are saying, but actually listen. And, and, and it's hard to understand if you're on either side of this, what the other person is going through. Uh, because you, you just haven't, you haven't experienced that uh, question, you know, maybe you've never had anybody walk up and in a, in a store and just go, what are you? <laughs> it's like, um, so if you've never had that experience, it's hard to, um, to sympathize with the other person. So, but understand that. Uh, so first it would be, it's a strong emotion. Um, but it ask is for people to listen uh, first and then see through other people's eyes. And that is really difficult. That would be difficult uh, for an adult. I think that would be difficult for uh, uh, high school students. Uh, but I think we can do it. Um, is that we can, we can evolve and get better understanding of who we are. And then lastly, I would say is, especially to the high school, is get to know the people and where they come from and get to know them on a different level. And I think as, especially now with, because we're dealing with other things in the world, maybe we're not even in high school, we're, we're sending texts or we're doing this interview over the phone or we're doing something through virtual means. Um, that social connection is important. And then understanding the, the complete story uh, that others have around you. Um, and then that way, if you know where they come from, you can't, you may not be able to understand exactly what they're going through, but at least you know their story and then you can maybe try to empathize with them. Because right now, um, I think the best way to get through this is that we, we can have a better understanding of each other. Sergeant Major, I actually lied. I do have one more, one more question. Um, and it's a question that you brought up at the very, very beginning of this interview. And I wrote it down and then forgot to ask you. But you just brought it up again. And it was in relation to what you were talking about in terms of the hard conversation you were having with your daughters. And, in, and that is the question of someone coming up to you and saying these, asking this question, what are you? In, in, in closing out this interview, talk about why that question is so painful. Well, it, it, it's so painful because it, um, it doesn't recognize that people are different. And you can't understand that somebody's different from you. Um, you can't understand why their hair is a little curly or why their skin's a little darker. Or even the question isn't asking your race. You're asking, what are you? Um, you know, that's not a question of what's your race. It's like it questions you as like a human. In other words, you're saying I'm not a human being when you say in my, in my mind, that's what I thought. Well, you don't even recognize me as a human being by asking that question. Um, and that, I know that's not what they meant. Um, I know that. Um, and some people weren't doing it to be mean, uh, but they just didn't understand how to say it. Well, that's even problematic for me too. It's, 
said, don't say it. Just accept people. Is this a good person or bad person? Um, you know, but to be bold enough to just walk up and then question whether this person is a human being, uh, to me, um, to me is, um, it's not being empathetic. It's not being willing to be open. It's not willing to, to open up to other folks that are different than you are. Um, and then just accept them for who they are. And if they're willing to share their story later, just be thankful that they were willing to do that. But don't immediately think that there's something less than a human. What, is there anything that makes you hopeful about this um, fraught moment that we're in? Well, there's a lot of things. First of all, I'm in the Army, and I love the Army. Um, and when I look around, I can walk down my hallway and I see, you know, a lot of diversity. I, I'm, um, um, I'm being honest is that uh, we've got um, a lot of diversity in our headquarters. Um, I, I do acknowledge that uh, we've never had a, you know, African-American chief of staff of the Army. But, you know, there's several three-star generals uh, that we have female. We have General Richardson out at our north. She's a phenomenal commander. Um, and I worked with her at a, at a, a previous job at ForceCon. So uh, we have a lot of great leaders of all kinds of backgrounds uh, in the military. We're very inclusive. Um, I'm here today because we're inclusive. I mean, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if uh, we weren't uh, full of diversity. Um, we're going to get better. Um, and so when I look around, I'm, I'm extremely, uh, confident that we can do better. Um, uh, and there is a lot of, um, uh, inclusiveness in the military. Again, like I said, uh, we have to do better. And a lot of people uh, are struggling with this. And I think with the leadership that we have, uh, we're going to do this. Sergeant Major Michael Grinston, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast and sharing more of your story. Oh, Jonathan, thank you. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.